Welcome to the Black Psychologist Podcast, where we have conversations and give insight into human behavior and promote mental health wellness. I'm Dr. Kyle Osborne, and with my co-host, Dr. Jason Coleman, we'll discuss health topics, everyday life issues, and try to give you a better understanding of yourself, other people, and the world around you. So just sit back, relax, and hopefully you'll leave with some information that'll have you living your best healthy life. Thanks for listening and enjoy the podcast. And welcome, welcome, welcome. It's the Black Psychologist Podcast. Welcome back, everyone. We're back like we never left. Episode 41, I think we're up to now. We are just rolling along. And uh, we appreciate, of course, everybody being here. You could be anywhere in the world, but you're here listening and watching us. And we appreciate that. As always, I am and will be one of your humble and gracious hosts, Dr. Kyle Osborne. He is I and I am him. And you guys know by now the people who are who, who have been riding with us, listening to us and watching us. I'm never here by myself. I'm here with the one and only. He's got ice in his veins, blood in his eyes, <laughs> faith in his heart and love in his mind. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Jason Coleman, what's going on with you, good brother? What's going on, bro? It's been a little minute, man. How you been doing? How's everything going on? Everything is good, man. Everything is well. Thank you. Uh, how how's everything with you? How's your mental health? Uh, good, man. You know, just uh, you know, you know how we do, man. Just working hard during the week, and uh, you know, trying to relax when we can on the weekends and all that. Um, but other than that, can't complain. It's you know, it's good to kind of for us to try to be get back in a regular groove. Um. You know, as always, just want to thank everybody who takes time to kind of listen and like the videos. Um, and, you know, we appreciate it. So, you know, in a good mood, man. Absolutely. I got to give a shout out to the fit that you rocking right over there, bro. I got the prior tours. <laughs> mental right. health. I see you. I see I you. You know what I mean? Look good, brother. As I always. Appreciate you know, we, it, man. I appreciate you know. it. I mean, you know, listen, man, we'll 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 talk about that, you know, later. I mean, of course, I'm gonna get you a hoodie, man. But I got, you know, I got some announcements on that coming pretty, pretty soon, man. You absolutely, know. as well. You should continue to represent, continue to promote because absolutely, but definitely, definitely gonna get you a hoodie, man. Well, it's gonna be t-shirt time soon, but you know, I got you, man. Yes, sir. All right, man. So uh, let's get into it. Like you said, it's been a little bit of a minute, and a lot has happened, man, in a lot of different areas of you know, of, of culture. So well, uh, we'll catch everybody up. You know, uh, the Super Bowl just passed, you know, so we, we saw uh, the L.A. Rams go. I go out there and uh, take care of their business. You know, so that was a good game. The whole playoffs have been entertaining. Oh, yeah, man. Playoffs, you know, I mean, kind of kind of disappointed what happened with Odell Beckham. Um, but I'm just, you know, I'm glad he got to contribute at the level he did before he got hurt, you know. Um, but anytime you see that, man, it's always disappointing whether you like the guy or not personally. I like him, but, you know, whether you like him or not personally, you know. Yeah, I'm happy he got a, another opportunity. And uh, like you said, he contribute. Um, hopefully the injury he's able to recover, um, get back to health. And uh, we'll see if they make another run out of it, you know. Yeah, man. I mean, unfortunately, this is like, um, well, not the worst time of the year for me, but it's one of them because, you know, the uh, listen to playoffs. Um, are slowly approaching with basketball and after the finals, you know, we have that, that little bit of dead time. So yeah. football season, obviously, you know, the best part of the year. Um, 
but you know we'll see man you know um you know next next season it's always next season for for my my boys and your boys man always yeah. next season absolutely so since we were going into the off season, I'm happy you mentioned that, Jay, because there was a lot of uh, action that took place in the beginning of the month. You know, that's going to be um, impacting the uh, the off season. So at the beginning of the month, uh, former Miami Dolphins coach Brian Flores launched a lawsuit against the NFL and three of its um, teams for alleged pattern of racist hiring practice by the league and racial discriminations by um, the Dolphins, the Broncos, and by the Giants. So the lawsuit alleges that the NFL remains rife with racism, particularly when it comes to hiring and the retention of black head coaches, coordinators, and general managers. All right. So for those people that aren't familiar with Brian Flores or familiar with um, what's been going on, I'll I'll give a, a brief summary. All right, so uh, Brian Flores was uh, fired last month following three seasons with the Dolphins, right? He inherited the team after they posted just, you know, losing records, losing seasons. I think the last third, last nine previous seasons before he got there um, were all losing seasons. So, you know, uh, when he got in there year one, they had a losing season, but then he guided them to back-to-back winning seasons, Um and uh, I, I believe last season he led, they won their um, their final eight of their last nine games. All right? right. So for whatever reason, he was fired. He was let go. Right. Even after winning two back to back winning seasons. What took place afterwards um, is where it gets interesting because Flores uh, subsequently interviewed for the. Um, the Giants, the New York Giants had coaching opening position. Right. But he alleges that it was a sham process. Uh, for the reason that the team had already decided to hire uh, Bill's offensive coordinator, uh, Brian Dable. All right. So what took place um, and what's reinforcing um, his, uh, his saying that it was a sham process is that um, he received a text message from Brian Belichick. Not, I'm sorry, not Brian Belichick, Bill Belichick from the Patriots. Right. We everybody knows Bill Belichick. So, you know, they have a pre um, pre-existing relationship. So apparently Coach Belichick believed that he was sending a message to Brian Dayball, right? Congratulating him on getting the job, on getting the the Giants um, head coaching position. So he texted um, Flores congratulating him and saying, hey, you know, I heard you got the job, X, Y, and Z, (laughs) right? And so, you know, Flores was like, "Uh, yeah, I didn't even interview. I think you got the Yeah, I didn't. I I was supposed to interview tomorrow. Yeah, I'm I'm interviewing tomorrow. So he (laughs) said, so, you know, Bill is probably like, Oh, uh, <laughs> right. So, <laughs> so, so, you know, you're seeing there, you imagine you're getting a message, you know, saying that, Hey, congratulations on a, on a position that you didn't even interview yet. Right. So obviously that message was sent to the wrong Brian. Okay. So what it's, it's appearing to be, or what it looks like is that they are already hired and news is getting around the league because remember Bill Belichick coaches for an entirely different team. Right. right, but obviously, of course, everybody has relationships with each other, and so if word is already getting out that they're already hiring a coach before you know the next interviewee is coming in, that's a problem there, right? 
So uh, in the lawsuit, you know, Flores alleges that his interview was simply a means for the Giants to comply with the league's Rooney rule, uh, which requires teams to interview at least two external minority candidates um, for a vacant head coaching position. Um, of course, the Giants have issued a statement saying that Flores' allegations are disturbingly They called it uh, disturbing and simply false. All right. Um, so a lot of things have been taking place for this. Uh, we'll definitely get into more um, of where Flores's position is right now. But, you know, as this information came out, Jay, what what um, what would your take on it? Uh, listen, um, it's a couple of issues, right, because you got this this singular issue and then you got the bigger issue. Right. So I think the one of the biggest problems and you know it starts with the Belichick Belichick text is without the Belichick text right we have the impression that we had the impression for the last 10 20 years or whatever that all of these deals get done in smoky rooms and back room back rooms right like mm -hmm. these are these are the, just the back room deals that get done um between like the good old boys that know each other right now we're starting to kind of see the evidence of these back channels existing, right? Whether it's Colin Kaepernick winning, uh, a, you know, a, a lawsuit, um, whether it's the stuff that's trickling out, you know, with uh, John Gruden talking about Demora Smith and nobody knows what everybody knows, right? Whether it's the Cowboys paying cheerleaders, whether it's the Redskins paying cheerleaders, all of this is coming out in court. So it's no longer rumors, right? So I say this all to say, and yeah, there, there are different cases and different facts and factors, but it's all the same in terms of the, we wouldn't have known about any of it if it wasn't for the lawsuits, right? And the second thing is the, the NFL has done a lot to cover it up so it doesn't come down past the administrative and owner level, right? So we have all of this evidence that's emerging, that's confirming what everybody's been saying, right? Which is everybody loves the Roonies, you know, the Steelers are a legendary organization, you know, the spirit of the rule is cool, you know, but it's a bullshit rule because all they're really doing is parading black candidates in on the last day when they've already decided who their guy is. And it's clear evidence of it, right? That's why. He's not blackballed. He's working for the Steelers. Mm -hmm. You know, so. Um, because and I think even even Rooney, I think his son had came out a couple of weeks ago and was saying, you know, that the rule is not working in the spirit of what where they wanted it. Right. So with that being said, I'm going to be very honest, like I'm a reserve judgment. Right. Because. I don't know how much evidence he has of this specific charge that he made. Right. Um, and I'm not saying that he's wrong, or I, but in terms of the lawsuit, I don't know if he's going to win the lawsuit or lose the lawsuit. Right. Because his attorney is saying the goal is to increase the influence of black individuals in hiring objectivity of hiring, increase the, increase the number of black coordinators, incentivize hiring. So, it's more of a global thing. It's kind of for the next guy and the next guy and the next guy. It's not necessarily for him to win money from them. I, I'm, I'm not saying there's not a component, but what I'm saying is it may not be a one for one that a lot of people are looking for. Yeah. 
this very much seems like the type of thing like it's a kick in the ass for the NFL at the end of the day, right? Like it might get settled out of court, whatever the case may be. And then we hear about all the programs. Like remember when they brought Jay-Z in, remember? You mean, you mean all those programs where they're, they're talking about change and all, yeah, the, all, yeah. the, all the, all the things on the logo. Yeah. All the things, yeah and, and, and racism, right? Wasn't that, isn't that what it said in, in the end zone? Right. Right. Um, all of that. So, Listen, man, um, with that being said, though, I'm a reserve judgment, but I think you should take this very seriously, right? Because remember, anybody who doesn't remember, they laughed Colin Kaepernick out of the building, too, until they gave him 30 plus million dollars. You know, so um, the NFL is a billion dollar organization. They have the best lawyers in the world. They know how to stall. They know how to drag things out. So it's their job to say that has no merit. Same way they say Colin Kaepernick has no merit. They were waiting for the public and everybody else to turn their back, blackball him, and for him to run out of money. But that's not what happened. And they ended up paying him, right? So um, because we have that and the the, um, thing with John Gruden and the cheerleaders, with all of this going on in all the back rooms, now we have another guy saying the same thing's happening. And then you got the, um, well, I don't want to bring him into it, but you got all of this smoke. So I'm a reserve judgment, but it seems, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if it wasn't more to come, you know? Yeah, this is, um, for me, this is inevitable, right? That's the word that continues to come, you know, come to mind for me for the reason that um, this is the only course of action that the NFL seems to understand or respond to. Right? The NFL has had a long and troubled history uh, when it comes to race and head coaches. Um, what was his name? Uh, Fritz, Fritz Pollard uh, broke the coaching color barrier back in the 1921. And then it took 68 more years after that for Art Shell, right? The Raiders coach for him to right. lead the team. And then after that, you know, you have the the Rooney rule was created and then you had the Tony Dungy's and the Lovey Smith's and, you know, it's like it, it has to get to this point. Right. I'm going to I'm going to read these these stats because that's that's what speaks volumes a lot of times. Right. And it, it, when I when I came across these stats, it made me cringe. All right. So going into the season. Right. Only one of 32 teams, right? Because that's how many 32, um, that's how many teams are in the NFL. Only one of those 32 teams employed a black coach. All right. Only four employed a black uh, offensive coordinator, right? So only four teams had offensive coordinators. Only 11 teams employed black special teams coach or coordinators. Only three employed uh, black QB coaches. Only six employed black general managers. And there are zero black owners in NFL, right? So that screams it's a problem. This has been right. an ongoing problem for years, right? Ongoing problem for years. And the question that you would, you know, when you uh, watch ESPN or you read all these other different articles is, oh, well, you know, well, how can we fix this problem? How can we fix this problem? How can, you know, this issue be resolved? And it's pretty simple to me, Jay. Like, just hire qualified black coaches. There are plenty right. of them, right? Right. It's really simple. 
Right. We don't have to get overcomplicated. Uh, it's, you know, if the NFL wanted to, they, you know, yeah, the programs and, and the slogans and all these other different, you know, endeavors are they sound great, especially for marketing purposes and to the general public. However, if they really wanted to resolve the issue, it's, it's just as simple as a, as a quote. If it ain't nothing to it but to do it, because there are plenty of qualify black coaches out there you you're, got you're right holes you got the leslie frazier's you got brian leftwich you got um my guy that's in um that's in kansas city that offensive coordinator who's been going on interviews every year while coaching his team to multiple playoff appearances and super bowl appearances right so right it's all they have to do if they wanted to employ coaches, like you said, if they wanted to change that, they have more than an opportunity to do so. But they don't because there's always been this underlying, you know, racial issue between as far as where whether it's with the league. And I think honestly, just kind of overall generally, but the league has like these certain positions where they don't want or they don't believe that you know, African-Americans are equipped or smart enough to be in these positions, right? One of those is the coach, right? And the other one is a quarterback, right? Those are always the positions where it's just like, it's it's like it's an unheard of for them to have these, you know I mean, these people of color in these positions. I mean, the, the offensive line is is, is, is similar. Yeah. Um, so, oh, but Anything that I, requires like, well, you have to know the playbook, you have to be intelligent, right? In order for you to do these things. So, of course, I mean, you know how, you it know, is. Any, anything that's, Consider cerebral, right? But exactly, I look at it like this too, and I'm not disagreeing with what you're saying, but I think, and and I'm just speculating, but I think, listen, they could put in as many rules as they want. These are billionaires, right? And they have lawyers that are ch- telling them how to circumvent the rule, right? So as long as you interview this guy, you don't have to hire him. You can hire who you really want, right? So what it's saying is, at the end of the day, it works probably like a lot of things work. Right. Like the same way a lot of people we know find jobs right through relationships, through people they know. Right. So these are people who are given jobs to a lot of people that we think are unqualified. A lot of personalities that we respect that are on the radio would think they're qualified, unqualified, too, or just strange picks with who with the people that are out here. But they're giving jobs to people that they're comfortable with. Right. So to make a long story short, I think something drastic has to be done in terms of like when the next team goes for set goes up for sale, it has to be sold to a majority black or majority owned group. You understand? And I'm not, I'm not trying to be funny. You need people that have money, right? You need Jay-Z, you need Diddy, you need Byron Allen, you need Damon John. You need all of those people to buy a team. Queen Latifah, all these Oprah, you need them to buy a team. And that's you know the what I'm thing, saying? right? You're totally right. And, and and hopefully, if you had a group that was that was reflective or or made up of multiple people of color, but in my opinion, my humble opinion, they might be more likely to make that type of choice, right? But right now, you got 32 people in a room who are billionaires and they all look the same. What is their incentive to bring somebody who looks like you in, or somebody? who is a different gender as of them. And like, what is the incentive? You know what I mean? There, there is no incentive until no. you're in there. You know what I'm saying? And that's so, it. We, we don't have any leverage. Right. And that's exactly for those reasons that we don't have any leverage. And 
we don't have any uniformity, right? So, because here's the thing also, right? When you look at it, yeah, it would be great if we we had those, those like you said, those those individuals, right? To come together as a group, buy a team. So exactly, we're able to- They billionaires. Um, the situation. Absolutely. <laughs> so here's the thing though, but, and here's another thought, right? What the league is what? It's predominantly what? 70% African-American. Right. Okay. So- Unfortunately, Flores, in the same way with Kaepernick, they were fighting these situations by themselves, right? right they right. don't have, you know what I mean? They don't have the leverage, but they also don't have the uniformity of other people supporting them, right? So if you had 70% of the league, right? Because I'm sure there are some players that are outraged. He's not going to get any support from, of course, from owners, because like you said, right. they're, they, they have no incentive to. But imagine you had all those players, right? Because most of these players and everything, you know, they, I imagine that they want to be coaches. They want to have a, a career beyond, you know, um, their playing days, but they're not thinking about that. Right. They're only thinking about right now, the same thing with Kaepernick. Kaepernick was fighting that by himself. And it was a situation where I'm sure a lot of people felt the same way that he did, but they were worried about, yo, I have to make sure that I can feed my family. I can't take right. this knee because if I do, I'm not going to be able to play X, Y, and Z, the fallout, so on and so forth, right? Imagine if 70, 70% of the of um, the players, right, were like, you know what? We don't like what's taking place. We don't like what's going on. We're not going to play, right? For once, from one game, even give it one game, right? right. What happens, right? If they got to shut down for the week, that affects the bottom line, right? That's where the leverage comes into play. If everybody is uniform and it's like, hey, well, you know what? We don't like what's going on. We don't like what's happening with these managing practices, the coaches, the coordinators, whatever the situation is. We're not going to play. Yeah, people will lose some game checks, and I'm not going to speak for everybody's situation. But at the same time, that sends a message to the league because the bottom line will suffer. Then it's just like, well, hey, if they realize that they have this leverage, because that's the biggest difference between the NBA and the NFL, is that the players have leverage, right? When they don't want to play, they'll band together. They're not going to play, right? The NFL is like, listen, we know what we can do. We know we have the power, and we know that they're going to operate individually. And that's the thing. Like when when Flores decided to do launch this lawsuit, I was concerned because I'm like, my, my man is throwing everything away. Because I was fearful well, that he wasn't going to get a job because I figured of him getting blackballed. And I was figuring, like, he, no one else is going to step up and support him. You know? Well, it's and like you said, you... it was for more, not for him, but for people coming after him that he was opening his door for. See, this is the thing, though, bro. I don't care if the league is 70% black or not, right? The leader sets the tone, right? Who's the leader of the NBA? I ain't talking about the best player, none of that. We can debate that another time. Who's the leader of the NBA? We all know LeBron is the leader. We know that. LeBron James, right? Right. And we have all known for the last 10 years that Chris Paul, LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, Carmelo Anthony, some of the biggest heavyweights in the game, right, that there are issues that are bigger than basketball in terms of African-American and issues that, that contain our communities of color that they'll stop playing for. There are issues that the biggest voice in the game will stop playing for, right? And say, nah, we got to either deal with this. We got to, we, we have to, we have to um, shine some attention to this, right? The NBA, and because of that, everybody has felt fell in line, right? They're all uniform and the owners know, right? I'm not saying they do everything right, but they follow the leader. So if LeBron said, James says, yo, you got to honor black culture and you got to move this way. All of a sudden 
it ain't controversial to say Black Lives Matter in the NBA, right? Definitely. Now, who is the leader of the NFL? If you ask me, it's Tom Brady. Exactly. So that's what right? I mean. Tom that's Brady, last issue. time I checked, I don't want to make it political, but he's not concerned about issues that affect uh, uh, um, disenfranchised groups, much and less black people. You understand? A, a league that you just told me was 70% black, he had the nerve to bring a, a Trump hat, right? Which some people would consider being terrorized by. I'm not gonna get off on a tangent, but he that's in the locker room, right? So this is the guy that's leading the charge. Of course, Colin Kaepernick is gonna be in purgatory until he wins the, the lawsuit, right? Because if if the set if the tone is set by Brady and Brady is saying shut up and dribble, essentially, or you know, the the the, the, the canned response. Right. Oh, I love everybody and I love the brothers I play with and all this other crap, right? That, you know, um, I mean, everybody else going to follow suit. And that's what you I'm know? saying. We, that, don't, we don't have any you know? leaders. Like you mentioned, we don't have any leaders in a, in a, in a league that's like you said, is 70% black, right? We have popular figures, right? And if you had enough of those popular figures who are like, hey, you know what? We don't like what's going on. We're the players. If we don't play, there's no bottom line. They're not making money, right? The league, Chris Paul, LeBron James understood that very clearly and say, look, if we don't play, they're not making any money. So everyone needs to roll with us. So again, different cultures, but that's the thing. Like it's going to be these individual situations. You're going to have the Kaepernick. You're going to have the Brian Flores who are going to have to fight these things individually. And yeah, right. it'll, you know, individually. Okay. Like you said, it'll get tied up and Brian Flores, he came to play, you know, he's got some attorneys from Manhattan. Like he, he's going to fight it out. Right. But again, it's an individual thing and some information is going to come out. Some information is not, but it, you know, it's different if it's a whole collective, I hope that there will be more people that are going to come forward. Um, but again, we don't know, right? And right. how much mayor is going to be? And that's another thing with the league, like you know, and you you um you mentioned it earlier, is that unfortunately these hirings are based off of you know the nepotism. It's based off of who you know, all the networking, right? It's not based off of meritocracy because if it was, Kaepernick would probably still be a quarterback in here, right? It's not right. based off of right. If you take Brian Flores's name off the top of his resume, you left it blank, you would clearly see that he's like one of the top candidates for the coaching jobs, but because it's Brian Flores on there, that's not going to happen. Right. Lovey Smith got hired by, um, by the, by the Houston Texans. Right. Mm -hmm. But that was after the suit came out. Right. Because the leading candidate for that position was some, some player, I mean, from, uh, some coach from high school. Yeah. Right? I know you're about, yeah. yeah. So again, this is what we're seeing that that's the reaction from the lawsuit. But again, like these individual ones aren't going to do much change, unfortunately, like this, it'll make some noise. And I'm happy that Brian Flores got the job, but you know why he was able to get that right. Who offered him that job or who, who was able to um, get him? I mean, listen, man, you're in, right. I mean, Mike Tomlin and then the org it's the Steelers organization, man. Exactly. Like, so they had they, to, look, they had to look out for him. They had to look out so, for him because he wasn't going to get a job. And that's what they've been doing for each other. Right. All these other teams yeah. have been doing it. And that's that's why he was able. he's overqualified for that position. I'm happy he's working. But, you right. know, I know Brian Flores is over overqualified for that. But Mike Tomlin had to be like, look, I see what's happening out here to my guy. I got to look out for him because if right. not, 
he's not going to be anywhere. He's going to be fighting that thing on his own. So see how that turns out. Again, it's a lot of things. Just that that question when when reporters and media are like, well, what can be done? It can be done if the league wanted it to be done, right? If they wanted to change, they have more than opportunities and they're able to do it. But again, of course, it's still in that, you know, they're still going to be doing these backroom deals. They're still going to be doing, you know, the good old boys clubs. But I'm I'm hoping that, you know, more people will come out. That's my hope because it's strength in numbers and it is getting harder and harder for them to kind of like, you know, dodge this when it's it's so clear. We just read these stats. It's very evident. <laughs> you know, yeah, definitely, definitely going to be following this one, man. It ain't going away. Absolutely. All right. So staying in the sports world, Jay. All right. Now, you know, what's one been one of the most popular uh, sports topics in the Philly area. Right. All right. Recently, we just had the all star game um, mm-hmm. yesterday. It was great. You know, great game competitive. I'm not sure about that. Uh, the Sam Dunk contest. Um, but that's a story for a different episode. All right. But the biggest thing before the uh, the All-Star game was the trade deadline. Right. And the biggest trade by far that everyone was discussing was the Ben Simmons um, and uh, what's my man's name from uh, from Brooklyn? James Harden. James Harden trade. All right. So Ben Simmons is going to uh, to Brooklyn. James Harden is coming to Philly. All right. However, outside of the trade itself, the subject of mental health has been a part of this conversation for the past few months now. All right. So try to do a brief summary of everything of how all this kind of came came apart. All right. So uh, Simmons was coming off uh, an incredible season last year. Um, However, during the um, he started he started having struggling during the series against the Atlanta Hawks during the Eastern Conference semifinals. All right. So he had some poor performance uh he was struggling with free throws he's passing up wide open dunks after the game uh doc rivers and joe Embiid had some you know kind of threw him under the bus publicly things got bad enough that uh simmons said he was um he wanted to trade he was holding out from the sixers even during that process over the summer he had said that his you know his mental health was in bad shape um you know, I think over the summer he had reportedly sought some mental health services through the uh, through the NBA or through the NBA Players Association. Um, you know, he had mentioned uh, a lot of that news wasn't met very favorably by like the uh, Philly fanfare in October. Mm-hmm. It became shortly that, you know, um, you know, when he didn't want to see uh, he said he wasn't mentally prepared to play for Philly. All right. So when that information also came out. Um, the team had just said that they weren't going to be paying Simmons. You know, they started finding him. He reported the training camp camp late. Um, he had an issue with Doc Rivers. Doc Rivers sent him home. Um, and then after that, he informed them that uh, he wasn't going to be able to play due to his mental health struggles. All right. Turned into a big thing. And then, you know, over the whole year, he sat out for the, you know, the majority of the season. Just got recently traded. A lot was going on, Jay. I mean, you saw it kind of unfolding. It was a lot that was being said in the media. Um, as all this played out, and now we're at this point, right? So now he's no longer a sixer. He's with the with the Nets. What is your opinion on how all of this took place, and especially the mental health component as far as, like, you know, that's been up in the air and it's been, you know, yep. unfortunately a topic of discussion? I mean, listen. I think a lot, like with a lot of things, you have people that are having 
they're conflating things and having two different conversations sometimes and about about the same thing. Mm-hmm. And what I mean is this, right? I'm not making this up because this is public knowledge. Correct me if I'm wrong. Kevin Love has anxiety, right? He's said he's diagnosed with anxiety, right? Well known about it. Yep. Paul George has said he said he has anxiety, right? Mm-hmm. So if Paul George or Kevin Love says, yo, I can't play because my anxiety, or Paul or Kevin Love has came out and said his anxiety had affected him in the playoffs, I think. Or he had to do something. Don't kill me if I'm not getting exactly right. Right. But he has said it has affected him during playtime, right? That is, in my humble opinion, right? So just so we'd be clear what we're talking about. That's mental health affecting your job. Yeah, and you get up in the morning, your anxiety's out of control, whatever the case may be. Stress triggers your anxiety, whatever. That's mental health affecting your job. Meaning like when you tell your coach that you can't play because of that or whatever the case may be, it is none of anybody's business anymore. Just the same way if you had broke your leg. Now, I think what's aggravating and confusing a lot of people, and I'm not saying this is the case because Ben Simmons has never addressed it. And because of HIPAA, he doesn't necessarily have to. Right. But what he's describing is stress. And, and, and why people are annoyed is because the stress that he's appears to be describing appears to coincide with his poor play, right? And the Philly fans responding to it. So you so then you have people again you have sports fans who are emotional they have agendas they're upset so they so then you have people throwing accusations like yo you're faking a mental health diagnosis and you're gonna have people from our side like yo it's none of your business protecting but they but they could be talking about different things right if 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 ben simmons is diagnosed with depression if he's diagnosed with anxiety and 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 this situations somehow triggered his anxiety right it's none of anybody's business Mm -hmm. but but i think the reason why you have this conversation from the beginning is that from the time you know i've been in philly just like i've been living here just like you from the time ben simmons came here to now i don't i you correct me if i'm wrong i don't know if anybody knew not not that we were entitled to know but I, I didn't hear anything about a mental health history until that shot got missed, you know? Um, and, and for me, we're intelligent people. Somebody who misses a shot or is, or is having, think about it, somebody who is having some problems making free throws and they go see a sports psychologist, that's, to me, that's not a mental health disorder. That's stress, right? Those, these are problems that we deal with. Just because you go to see a counselor doesn't mean you have a mental health disorder. You understand? You can go to a counselor for relationship problems, for stress. You don't have a mental health disorder. And I think because we're playing in this gray area game, you have the agents in them saying mental illness, mental health problem. Leave us alone. And then you got the team saying and people around him saying it looks like a person that can't handle stress. And we'll probably never know. but you have people talking about things that could be totally different. Right. But where, I mean, uh, what do you, would you get out of it? Cause I'm, I'm sure you might've looked at it totally different than me. You I know mean, what I'm saying? So I, I looked at it like, um, 
from a slightly different lens and I, and I took it really a lot of it just at, at face value. Right. So like, I'm, I'm not skeptical if, if Ben Simmons says, you know, if he, whenever he's, was well, he's talking about stress or it's the mental health issue, or he says his mental health is not good. Right. I take him seriously when he raises it. Right. I, I take it at face value because I don't know him. I don't never treated him, whatever the situation. What I found interesting was that how, like, it was so hypocritical, right. Especially with the Philly, sports community so when lane johnson missed three games right mm-hmm. earlier this season and he said well you know he and he had the support of the team and you know even the, the fan base listening to like sports radio they were supportive of him right same thing with um brandon brooks right when he overcame talking about his anxiety and his stress right um people were supportive like oh he you know he's rising above it he became a pro bowler all these other different things so my whole thing, well, what's the difference, right? The difference is what I've noticed, especially as far as like in Philly, is that because they already started having a pre-existing issue with Ben, right? Because one, Ben is young. Um, as far as we're talking about his like his sports playing, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people wanted him to start shooting threes. They wanted him to get a jump shot. That wasn't something that he was interested in, right? He was right. completely like, no, I'm I'm going to play my way, and, and this is what I'm going to do. Like, you guys want me to shoot threes? I want to become defensive player of the year. So at that point, it was already frustrating for a lot of the fans, right? And you know fans are very fickle. They're very fair weather, right? Now, if he was playing well, right, I think there would be more support. If he would have came out and said, hey, my mental health or my I'm not – doing well mentally these days there would have been support but because Mm -hmm. they already had this issue with him as far as him not making the free throws or him not doing the jump shot or playing the way people wanted him to there was an issue people i know a lot of people call in question the um the timing of him talking about the mental health thing especially with you know the fines coming through and so on and so forth all right right so yeah it's uh perfectly okay for people to raise questions and kind of look at it like okay this seems kind of coincidental or this seems convenient right here's another thing um when people say that well hey we didn't hear about him talking about this until it it reached like it's tipping point or all of a sudden where he said it's getting real bad i mean the same thing could be said with naomi osaka right we didn't hear about her having mental health issues until she had to withdraw from from the tournament that's why you know same thing with um the question i you know, what's her face? Know. Yeah, that's, that's why I wanted to know your opinion on because how it, I don't necessarily disagree with you, right? But right. Howard Eskin, right? He says, Oh, yeah, he's the worst. Um, yeah, well, you know, he <laughs> said, not a it's, an, it's an insult to those who suffer, right? And who really suffer, right? And it's a it's convenient that it happened that you know, right, right after he traded, he got he was fine just after he got traded. That kind of is out of bounds because you can't really determine by how somebody, whether somebody's smiling or not, whether they're doing well. But I guess my question to you is this, because remember when we were talking about the kids with the mental health days, right? right? And I was saying to you, it may sound off-putting to people, but I don't think if you, unless you have a diagnosed mental health disorder, you don't need a mental health day. Right. Because stress is a part of life. Right. Because. Think about how trauma is thrown around nowadays. Mental health is thrown around the same way. You have people who in a conversation will tell you, stop talking to me like that. My mental health. Yeah. Right. So 
that's why I'm saying when you have people in the media just saying and and his representatives being as vague as my mental health, right? All of those, a lot of those people that we talked about, Kevin Love, Lane Johnson, like they came out and said like, yo, I have anxiety. I saw a therapist, whatever the case may be. So it's fair for, and not saying that they have to, right? But when, as soon as they say that, we know that this is a person, this isn't like a person who I just can't get along with my boss, right? Um, and I'm not accusing of Ben Simmons of that. But what I'm saying is, if we talk about why he's getting the reaction that he's getting is because all of these things are lining up in terms of your performance not going well, the fans not, you know, responding, you wanting to trade, and then now we have vague mental issues about mental health. So I would, I'm not speculating because again, he ain't my client and I don't know. Um, and it's both sides of it, right? We have, Sports fans are very emotional, right? And they have an agenda, you know? Um, so, no, they haven't been very nice to him. Um, but I, I just think, unfortunately, like, we're never going to know because he's not required to tell us, you know? So and we're so, never going to know. It's just a conversation that we're just going to keep having. And so that's that's the thing. Like, similar, like, when we had the conversation about, like, the mental health days for school, right? I can I, right. I it's not similar, but it is in some form or fashion with the Ben Simpson because I think overall, right, can someone use mental health as a reason that they're not performing well? Yes, right? right. Can someone take advantage of that? Sure, they can. Um, taking a look at as far as like when we talk about pro athletes, uh, you know that they're human just like we are. Unfortunately, you know, they've had to be one in a million as far as like their talent level, as far as their personalities, just so they can perform on the biggest stage every day and be criticized for it and so on and so forth. So they have some unique pressures at the same time. They have some of the same pressures that they all do, that we all do because they're human. Now, a lot of people don't know is that um, with Ben Simmons last year, um, I believe uh, his sister accused his half brother of molesting her. Um, and then it led to like this prolonged legal battle. And mm-hmm. so I can't imagine. I imagine that that took some type of a toll on him. I mean, I'm not him. I don't know how he's built or, you know, but when people kind of aren't privy to this information and neither, like you said, should we have to be because it's none of our business. Like you never know again what exactly is kind of taking place in that person's life. And unfortunately they still have to go out. They still have to go out and perform like everything's Gucci, right? Because their brand depends on it, their team or their boss, their stats depend on all these other different responsibilities. Right. The main thing where I felt like, okay, more information that he chooses to share with us and not share with us. Like I said, it could be stress. It could be some trauma or some other different things that we're not aware of. What really concerns me about this whole thing, just kind of outside or what's contributing to his situation is that with all the skepticism, like you said, of like the, the lining of events, um, it really detracts from what the most important issue is. Right. And it's because there's a lack of trust between him and the organization and the fans it's like it causes like this riff or I feel like it's actually af- affecting like the progress that we've made. Just like I think it's the general public regards like understanding the importance of addressing mental health when it comes to like the athletes. Right. Because we've just talked about like the Naomi Masakas, the 
um, you know, um, Simone Biles, right? I think we've come a long way and like people kind of are hopefully are looking at athletes in a different way and like, yo, you know what? They have a lot of things that they're experiencing on top of whatever they have going on in their personal life on top of the stress and things. I feel like with this, this kind of takes two steps back because now we're calling into question um, like not you, but like the media, all the other different people that have agendas. Like, I feel like it's counterproductive to us actually being more empathic towards these individuals. Right. We're putting on, on this pasta, but it's like we it's good for us. I, I get it how some people are kind of skeptical of it. But I feel like if we start looking at him sideways with the screw face or saying, well, is he really faking? Is he just using him? What happens when it's the next particular athlete? Well, I, I don't I mean? I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is this, right? And I'm, I'm kind of trying to look down the street and around the corner with this. I'm looking like, where's the line? Because like you were saying, his sister, all of that. And I get it. Like, that's family stuff, right? But none of that is in the DSM. Like, that's not diagnosable, right? And, what, and my, this is my, my, my point. And I'm not, it's not a, this right. is why I brought it up with the days and now. It's always going to be a line. Think about it. Because as much stuff as, Ben Simmons could have went through everything in the world this year, right? But he don't have – he can't diagnose himself with general anxiety or depression. He can't wake up one morning and say, it's too much for me. I got anxiety. I'm not showing up for work, right? Meaning, like, it doesn't work like that. That's why we have a symptom and a threshold, you know what I mean? There would have to be things going on in his life to the point where Dr. Kyle would have had to diagnose him with the anxiety. and. None of us are privy to whether any of this went on. But what I'm saying to you is when I see Simone Biles and I, and now I'm just assuming, right. But when I hear Kevin Love talk, when I hear Lane Johnson talk, I'm assuming that they have been diagnosed with these things. Right. I'm not assuming that they are looking at TikTok and they like, oh, I got all this stuff going on in my <laughs> life. I got anxiety. So now I got to call a team. I'm just not going to show up. You understand what I'm saying? Right. Um, and because, because I assume that that's the case, the Eagles can't really probably have nothing to say about it because again, they're not privy to his health record, but it's very easy for somebody to verify. I got diabetes. I got sickle cell. I go to therapy. You understand what I'm saying? Without anybody elaborating on what I have, blah, 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 blah. You understand what I mean? So yeah. I, I'm not even saying it's not a, a, a rebuttal necessarily to what you're saying, but think about if we lived in a world, right, where somebody's parents could call the school and say, my son got anxiety today. He's depressed today. I mean, I mean, and think about we if we lived in a world where, you know, a basketball player could do that and still get paid or, you know, as there, there's a threshold even for us. Like, you know, what I mean? you're like, no, that's not anxiety. You're just a nervous guy. <laughs> like, you like, you know, anxiety is, 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 is different. Like we're around people who are sad all the time. They're not necessarily depressed. Right. Because clinical depression requires a threshold. So, again, we're, we're all just speculating. But I think I'm just trying to come to talk about why I think people are reacting the way they are, because I think I think and I could be wrong. Maybe they don't have as much information as they would like, you know, I think it's that. And I think because, again, 
the money component of it, right? It's a situation <laughs> where, you know what I mean? Like, because you have the money, the fines, and, you know, it looks like, oh, well, he's trying to, like, like you said, stay home and not, you know what I mean, continue to get paid, and, and he's not giving information. And then I feel like because he had the pre-existing frustration, like, relationship with kind of the fans and with the, the team because they're asking him they're like hey we want you to do your game this way and he's like nah <laughs> and so Perfect. it was just kind of leading up to things but you know we'll see we'll see yeah you know how this plays out you know he's not playing yet um up there for your for your brooklyn net so we'll see man you know yeah we'll man see, we'll see how it plays out. Yeah. uh speaking of reducing harm right the okay. federal government will begin to pay for uh, there was an article that came out that said the federal government will begin to pay for crack pipes and meth pipes as safe smoking kits um as part of harm reduction strategy all right yeah yeah so i'm gonna read the, uh from the article all right it was um it said the substance abuse and mental health services agency has allocated roughly 30 million for $30 million for a harm reduction program grant, which includes funding, syringe exchange programs, opioid refers, um, reversal drug test kits to detect fentanyl, smoking, safe smoking kits and supplies, among other traditional measures. Um, they also it said uh, these an HA and uh, spokesperson repeatedly or reportedly confirmed to the Washington Free Beacon that these safe smoking kits will provide pipes for the consumption of any illicit substance to reduce the infection of um, or which can potentially occur through cuts in source. All right. Now, as we continue to uh, kind of flesh this out and kind of monitor this, there was a retraction uh, that came out later on regarding this article and said the cl- uh, the claims are false. This was from um, the White House and Dr. Rahul Gupta and says that the um, there were no pipes that were going to be distributed <laughs> distributed to the the public it says the safe smoking kit contains alcohol swabs lip balm clean syringes fentanyl test strips um and other products but no crack pipes or um all right um but i think this brings up another question um even though you know they put out the retraction um as far as the ongoing debate and there's always been this ongoing conversation regarding uh, some of these harm reduction programs. Um, these programs have been around for years in different capacities. Um, and it's been always been an ongoing uh, situation as far as, you know, their effectiveness and what, what they promote and the goal. Um, Jay, not just on this article, but just kind of overall on some of these harm reduction government sponsored programs. What's uh, your opinion on these? On the end, it depends on the individual level, like harm reduction in general, I'm in favor of. Right. And Mm -hmm. people have to understand what it is in terms of like practical strategies aimed at reducing negative consequences associated with drug use. Right. Um, Some of the principles meeting people where they're at, minimizing drug use rather than simply ignoring it. You know, other things. Right. I understand some of the, the, the tactics people may be frankly disgusted by, right? But we got to make room for the fact that um, some people are never going to stop using drugs, right? Um, so some some things in terms of HIV testing, you know, um, safe sex resources, right? With people that you know are going to be out 
in the street, different places, right? Um, I agree with, with some of the uh, tactics, right? Um, I think what made this so controversial is because, again, you know, we've had we had this conversation, right? And they responded, mm-hmm. they made a retraction, but again, when you go back and you look at the traditional harm reduction kits they might not necessarily include crack pipes you know but there's paraphernalia included to allow individuals to smoke rocks or meth right mm-hmm. so whether we talked about it, whether you call it a stem or whether you call it a, a whatever you want to call it uh, you know um listen that's going to be off-putting to people right um especially when you start reading you know you know that this is like a primary focus of of you know, um, Biden and Harris is like, I guess, fight against drugs, but I don't want to call it war against drugs. You know what I mean? Um, I just think it's, it, it sends the wrong message, right? Um, I think you got, that's why you got to be very careful, right? Because I think this is a program that had uh, millions and millions of dollars about, behind it, right? And it was kind of one of those things that if this article didn't come out, it would have kind of just slipped through the cracks, right? Um, honestly, I, I that's why I think it has to be. You have to look at each individual piece because the putting the pipes in in the in the, in those in those harm reduction kits, like, and the reason they gave for it, I don't get it at all, right? Whether you whether you like or support intravenous drug use, I can understand why somebody will provide not drugs but clean needles, right? And I can understand why you would provide birth control and and condoms and those type of things, right? To people that are going to be on the street, right? Um, Because you're preventing the spread of other diseases. Um, But giving people crack, uh, see, I'm saying crack pipes, but giving people that type of drug paraphernalia, I'll never understand it, especially with the history in the United States with, you know, crack cocaine, um, and it's just insulting when you see language like it's prioritized for communities of color who have been greatly impacted by substance use disorder. But we're giving out stems. You know, I, I mean, I don't know. Um, and I get it. The, you know, they want to they're going to want to say the right wing took it and used it in the wrong way. But these aren't things that should be in. The, what do you expect? Like, you know what I mean? So what, what did you think, man? Because. I don't think I really have a new answer for anybody. Like I, I, I'm as horrified and disgusted as anybody else that we're even having this conversation. I'm, I'm, I think the biggest common misconception, you know, regarding harm reduction programs is that it condones or encourages drug use. Right. That's why I think a lot of people immediately see, oh, you're giving them, they're giving them the paraphernalia. You're giving them a portion or some aspect of you know the drug or to use the drug you're you're encouraging it right you're you're going to you're you're just telling them to go out and use and go kill themselves when that's not the case right the goal is working towards abstinence from drugs or alcohol or whatever you know um the addiction may be um and it's also the harm reduction is recognizing that you know everybody is at a different place right and also that the, the recovery process takes time. Um, I think uh, it, I see both sides of it, right? 
Um, I understand it from, you know, it's unsettling to go into any type of area and you see or any like any type of designated area where people are using. Right. It's very unsettling. Right. Whether it's um, um, a safe space as far as like a, a clinic or you're going past like a house where people are just using whatever the situation may be. Right. It's unsettling just to kind of know that that's taking place. Um, so I get the optics of that. At the same time, as a clinician, I understand where they're coming from as far as that they're trying to reduce the damage that's done um, by unclean equipment, right? That's being used for injecting, that's being used, you know, it's a situation where, okay, people are using, but when you have these, this type of initiative, you know, you have a situation where if someone overdoses, they're able to get help, right? If that person is in a place where they say, hey, well, I don't want to use anymore. You know, those safe spaces or those in, those endeavors offer a connection to get treatment. So I, I kind of see both areas because you're trying to eliminate or reduce just uh, like you mentioned, some of the diseases or some of the other different issues that come along that are associated with the larger issue that's at hand. It's, you know. You got to look at it from, like you said, a person to person thing. It's also understanding that they're trying to keep from, okay, so we're talking about like heroin. If you're giving out clean needles, then, okay, you're reducing the likelihood that that person may contract hep C and then take that home to their family member, right? Or take their home to their loved one or whatever. But it's un it's still unsettling just kind of the thought process of it, right? So I think, I don't know if there's a clear cut thing. I, I see both sides of it. Um, but it's, it's, you know, it, it's yucky at times when you're thinking about just kind of the steps that are involved in the process, you know? And then I, I, I think that's why like certain people, like that's why certain people, certain personalities have certain jobs, right? Certain people are kind of telemade for certain things. Some people, the way they think, the way they reason, and I'm not even saying that they're wrong because we need people like this in the world too. Some people just don't have that much compassion for somebody that that just compulsively uses drugs. They're not going to say, take the $30 million and let's give them safe smoking kits. Now, I know that sounds harsh, right? Um, but but there are also people that, you know, feel like, you know, certain segments of people who have committed certain crimes, right? Like that they should serve their sentences without certain privileges, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that's all right, but what I'm saying is we have different opinions in this world, right? And we have to make room for all of them. And we have to understand that there's a segment of people out here that they don't use drugs. They don't commit crimes. They go to work, right? And they do not understand giving $30 million to help people who don't even want help, right? Maybe you will be able to meet them at the methadone clinic and be like, okay, we're going to help these people that they're at least in the uh, uh, planning stage, right? But but you have to, again, I don't have to agree with them, but I have to respect the person that's like, listen, you're chasing them down to give them these safe smoking kits, right? There are some people who are just never going to understand that, right? Um, um, the same way we can probably advocate for people all day for increased like mental health services for incarcerated folks, right? And you got some people that are going to be like, yo, they're criminals. They don't, why do they need mental health treatment? Right. And we could, you know, we kind of got to convince the people 
you know, who are kind of on the edge. Right. Um, but when it comes to like substance use and things like that, you're never going to uh, convince people. And this is the extreme end. Right. This is the extreme end. Like, remember a couple of years ago when they when they were talking about um, I think they might have did it in Portland already where they have legal places legally where, you know, you can kind of go and shoot heroin and different yeah, things. There are the safe injection sites and things. Right. right. Um, yeah. And there's a lot of controversy about that. Right. Um, I still don't know how I totally feel about that. Right. Um, some people are going to tell you, it, it, you know, it totally encourages drug use. And then you're going to have people on the other side with facts and t- statistics talking to you about how it reduces this and that. And the, the, imp- the it has a positive impact on public health in general. So some people are built like all of us. Sometimes our roles are different, are different. So, um, listen, I don't expect everybody to understand. Um, and like I said, uh, you know, I understand you know, the condoms, I understand, you know, the clean needles. I don't understand. They, I'm, I'm not even saying I'm coming around, but I'm not there yet with the, with the, with the crack pipes, you know? Um, so, you know, yeah, it's, it it, it's, it's something I feel like they're still spinning their wheels. Um, they're trying to come up with these different initiatives as far as trying to meet people where they're at. And, um, but unfortunately, like you said, you're going to be some, some, um, some endeavors where people are going to kind of have to get their hands dirty with nitty gritty. And if you don't understand that world, you don't understand that culture of being an addiction or what goes on, it's going to be really difficult for anyone else to kind of see like, well, why are we pushing our resources into that to those people and, and a lot of judgment. So um, we'll see. Um, but it is, it's, it's tough. You know, it, it's, it's not easy at all. All right, Jay. Finally, uh, there was an art contest that was established by the New Hampshire Children's System of Care Advisory uh, Council to combat stigma uh, associated with mental illness. So there were a group of middle schoolers and high school students that were invited to submit a, uh, a two minute film, a creative writing piece or another piece of art that expressed something about mental health struggles. And unlike previous years, um, where instead of um, uh, focusing on mental illness awareness, a lot of the pieces um, that were exhibited um, were they delved into the artist's personal struggles with mental health. So um, a lot of the entries showcased um, a variety of paintings, songs, poems, um, some videos that portrayed like a deep sense of like isolation or people masking, you know, their reality struggles um, of where they fit in and other different things. Um, so a lot of the advocates and some of the judges that were uh, that participated in um, in the contest or that were judging said that um, there were a lot of emotional pieces that that these students, um, you know, were portraying and that they, you know, decided to, to share with the rest of the student body and rest of the community. Um, and they said that, you know, it spoke volumes of what some of these uh, children were, were experiencing. So as you were reading through this article, what was your takeaway from it? Um, listen, I thought it was, um, I wasn't surprised. Um, you know, listen, mental health and the arts kind of have intersected. We've seen it, you know, um, right before our eyes in a lot of different places. You walk through any museum, you know, some of your favorite, most famous artists, you know, some of the best work 
but most famous work with you know um either was just came out of a trauma or was done at a traumatic time in their life different things like that we know the history of mental health and you know music all of that that stuff um so to see like kids use it as a coping mechanism in terms of expressing their feelings, you know, um, what they're going through. I'm not surprised. I think what I was shocked about was how extreme um, the material, the content was. Right. Um, it's kind of a reflection of popular culture. Right. So you had a lot of children talking about depression, suicidal ideation, um, eating disorders. Right. I remember that one picture where she was writing starve. 100 pounds and healthy and all of this. Um, it's, it's one of these things where I think this is a project that should be replicated in a lot of different schools. And I'll tell you why, because I think this would do a lot of good on a middle school and a high school level, because we got to remember, like, um, I think they would catch a lot more problems in the beginning with situations like this right because obviously our adolescents aren't as verbal as adults you know um and we can kind of extend that even into the high school right because sometimes we give those kids a little bit more credit than we should um teenagers are verbal when they want right but yelling your feelings because you're mad or <laughs> you know doesn't really count right as being emotionally um appropriate in terms of being expressing your feelings so I think stuff like this could help, right? Because, um, again, I think they've they feel more comfortable expressing their feelings, and you get them more genuinely when they when they're expressed through like the arts. Um, but what did you think when you read this? Um, I think this, in particular, especially the pieces that they were showcasing. I mean, this is an implication that these kids are experiencing a great deal. Um, this is like, we've talked about in previous episodes, you know, this is how kids, um, communicate. And so I absolutely agree with you in the sense of, yeah, I think more schools should be incorporating this or some form of this program where they're allowing kids to, you know, tell their story or express what they're, they're experiencing. This could, like you said, provides a lot of information. Right. If the kids are able to express what this is, what they're experiencing, this is like, hey, you know what? I didn't know Johnny was going through this. I didn't know that, you know, Samantha was experiencing this. Like this is that foot in the door. Right. Right. This is that, right. hey, you know what? You know, let's let's dive more into this. How often are you feeling? This is a conversation starter. You know, at the very bare minimum, this is a conversation starter for you to see what your student body is experiencing. You know, I want to I want to applaud the New Hampshire Children's System of Care Advisory Council for them even putting something like this in place, because this is providing a platform for these kids who obviously are experiencing a lot. Right. We, we've talked about in previous episodes what the past two years have been like, right? For kids that are experiencing with the with the pandemic and the shutdown. And then, mm -hmm. you know, what they're experiencing at home, what they're experiencing family, what they're experiencing at school, right? A lot of times, unfortunately, you know, we as adults, just kind of overall, even as parents, we kind of like overlook that, you know, these kids, their issues aren't as 
important as ours are, right? They're not experiencing the stress. They're not experiencing all these other different things, right? So we invalidate them. But I feel like this is the perfect opportunity for us to start having these conversations with kids, man. Like these kids didn't hold back, right? Right. You know, these kids went full steam ahead and were putting what they're experiencing. And, you know, we all know that art can be interpreted as many ways, but this this seems pretty straightforward, right? Yeah. You know, so I feel like this is the opportunity um, that I think a lot of schools and a lot of districts should start putting in a place where you can, you want to know what your kid is experiencing. You want to know what your student body is going through. This is the perfect opportunity for them to do it. And I like the fact that they, they had poetry, they had art, they had, you can shoot a video. Like you really allow kids to be, become creative. Like you said, use it as a therapeutic tool, but this is also the window into what's going on. Yeah, so, man. Um, we need more programs like this, like ASAP, honestly. I mean, then you just look kind of at New Hampshire. You know, they said at the time when this was done, you know, they had 22 kids waiting on inpatient care. Um, you know, 8.5 psychiatrists per 100,000 kids in 2015. And then they did a survey, 19% of high school kids had thoughts of suicidal ideation. So... It's obvious. I mean, that's New Hampshire. You know, I'm sure if we looked in Georgia, if we looked in New Jersey, um, you're going to see different numbers, of course, you know, but the issue is going to be the same. Right. Um, you're going to have a lot of we 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 started talking about this months ago with numbers of mental health disorders with kids spiking since, you know, um, the pandemic. Um, and I just think it's just, again, things like this, whether it's an art contest um, you know, whether you're encouraging kids to kind of do PSAs or, or um, um, videos about their own experiences, the, the goal is to kind of find a way to incorporate these activities into the school environment, right? That's how you incorporate um, positive mental health um, habits into the environment. And you, you want to make, um, you want to make this part of the self-care conversation. Right. Um, you want to bridge all of these things, right? Self-care, expression of, of the feel of, of their feelings, appropriate emotional expression, emotional regulation. You want to bring all these issues to the forefront. Um, and these are the easiest ways to do it, right? The same way um, we want to encourage kids to incorporate self-care into their daily routine. You want to incorporate activities like this into kind of the school environment in the curriculum. Um, and you'll start catching more you know, more kids at the time when you could really help. So, yeah, I think in addition, the only thing I'll add to it, um, to what you already highlighted was it promotes engagement, right? This is a good way to get them engaged, right? They love the kids love to be creative and all these other different forms, music, art, writing, all these other different, um, you know, manners for them to express themselves. And I feel like if you say, Hey, you know what, show us what you got, show us what's going on in your way. It allows them to personalize their message, right? It allows them to engage with you. And then also it sends the message like, you know what? Maybe, you know, the schools care, right? If like you want to hear from what, what I'm going through, you want to hear what I'm saying, and you're going to allow me to do it in, right. in my manner, oh, bet. You know, that might be, like you said, that first step in getting them engaged and being able to catch them so we can be, you know, more proactive in getting them that help, right? Like you said, the numbers are going to be high, I imagine that they'll be even higher because imagine how many of these are unreported. Right. 
But if you got kids engaging in activities like this, they're more forthcoming, trust builds, all these other different factors. So, um, yeah, this is this is dope. Um, I hope that this gets um, gets duplicated in a lot of other other different districts and uh, states. Uh, this is great. I like this. Yeah, man. See what happens with that. Yeah. Jay, anything else before we get out of here, bro? We talked about a lot, a lot of good conversation, good content. Nah, man, just, you know, um, we're going to get back to a regular schedule. Um, but, you know, definitely appreciate everybody hanging in with us over the holidays. Um, and just want to thank everybody for listening. Please continue to, you know, like the videos, share the videos. Um, appreciate it. Definitely humbled by the support. And, um, you know, remember to prioritize your mental health. Absolutely. We appreciate that. I um, hope you enjoyed being here with us. We enjoyed having you. Um, like you said, continue to subscribe, comment, promote ideas, you know, uh, send Jay and I and on the, also on our Instagram and on our Facebook, um, the Black Psychologist Podcast on those sites and pages. Submit ideas. When you see articles, send them our way. We love the feedback from everybody. We love the conversation. Um, so we appreciate it. So wishing everybody a good mental health for the rest of the week. And uh, until next time, you know, we'll talk again. All right, Jay. All right, bro.